we play a team in Montana in, at home in Utah when had to drive 14 hours up to Montana to play the same team. Lose had to drive 14 hours back home. This is all in a four day span to play the same team and lose. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we are joined by former minor league left-hander Tyler Watson. Tyler takes us through a route to pro ball that we haven't had yet on the show. Out of Georgetown High School in Texas, he signed with Kansas, intending to pitch in the Big 12 and even kick for the football team. That didn't quite happen. He blew out his elbow after a few innings as a freshman and rerouted to McClendon Junior College, where he eventually signed with the Angels as a 38th round pick. Tyler takes us through his minor league tenure, butting heads with management when it came to his arm angle on the mound, how hard it is to prepare for the physical adjustment of the minor leagues, and how guys can start setting themselves up for a better life after baseball. We're also going to get into the difficulty the minor leagues has when it comes to the mental health of its players, and how important that is to Tyler, who lost a teammate to mental illness during his career. I'm very appreciative that Tyler shared his story and furthered that conversation. It was a, a really good podcast. Hope everyone enjoys it. Episodes are from Phenom to the Farm Drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing with the show. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. MLB season has finally kicked off. We are full go. Uh, BA is still bringing you the daily BA prospect report, as well as college baseball coverage via Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy. Also, go check out Future Projection, the new podcast hosted by Carlos Colazzo and Ben Badler. Lastly, the MLB season preview issue of the Baseball America magazine is now available, the one with that cool Francisco Lindor cover. I had an article in that one that's a bit about what Tyler and I discussed in today's podcast about what the future of mental health in Major League Baseball looks like. So if today's conversation interests you, go buy the season preview issue, and there's, you know, as always, a lot of good stuff in there. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Tyler Watson. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, who's a 38th round pick by the Angels in 2014 out of McClellan Junior College, left-hander Tyler Watson. Tyler, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. I've been looking forward to this. We've been circling the wagons on this for a little bit. Um, let's dive right into it. Uh, when did when did playing baseball at the next level get on your radar? Next level by college or pro ball? Because you were you were playing high level baseball and doing some intense traveling for baseball well before college. Like how did you wind up in the Goodwill series? The Goodwill series. Oh man, that's a you're going way back. Uh, thank you, KUAthletics.com. <laughs> get, get, doing, doing my research for me. Man, obviously, my dad. My dad. Uh, I grew up in this game. My dad is the uh, senior advisor for the Angels. Um, we have a lot of connections in the game, and we, we actually just went to dinner one night with one of his buddies, and he says, man, I know a team that's going to Australia in a couple months. And I remember being at dinner thinking, there's no way I'm going to go to Australia. I mean, that, that just sounds like a dream. The <laughs> next thing you know, I'm, I'm on an 18-hour plane to Australia and played with some really good players, and we, it was the time of my life, man. It was Looking back, that was probably the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. Yeah, 18-hour flight, it, it better be worth it. Be, uh, you better have fun playing the baseball if you're going to take an 18-hour flight. 
Yeah, it's funny. I tell the story all the time on the way there. You could tell who the baseball players were on the plane, but nobody, I mean, you're, you're, we're, we were 17. We're not going to introduce ourselves. And on the way back, you would have thought it was an 18-hour party on the way back. We just <laughs> built memories that we'll have for a lifetime. I still keep up with a lot of guys that were on that team. It was just awesome, awesome experience. So at what point in high school did you start to realize that, that high-level college baseball or perhaps pro ball was going to be in the cards for you? It was at least a, a realistic possibility. Well, you know, it's every kid's dream. It's every kid's dream to go to a Division I. Um, I didn't know if – I didn't really have a good grasp whether it was going to be in the cards for me. I mean, when I think D1, I think Texas, I think A&M, I think North Carolina, which I got looks from those schools, but – you know, I was a hundred and forty pound, five foot ten lefty throwing eighty three, eighty four. You know, so those probably weren't as much in the cards for me as okay. Let me find a school that I know I'm going to pitch as a freshman, whether it's a JUCO, D three, D two, even if it's a D one. And my dad was in Kansas City at the time. We spent a lot of time up there. I took over a, a trip over to Lawrence and. I love the pitching coach. We all got along real well. I got along with the head coach very well, and it seemed like a good fit. I was going to pitch right away as soon as I got there, and that's how I that's how I ended up at a nice Division One college, um, just building relationships and you know finding the right fit for me. Did you have any any backup plans during your recruitment to Kansas? Like, were you looking anywhere else? And kind of in retrospect, was there anywhere that that might have been a different fit or better fit that you picked KU over? Sam Houston, um, Sam Houston State, couple couple hour drive for me. Um, that was one of the big decisions whether I wanted to go out of state, uh, thirteen hours away or two hours down the road. Um, the school I ended up going to after Kansas, McLennan. I mean, that was an hour away from me. Just really making that decision, what was a good fit for me. Air Force. I talked to Air Force almost every day. Um, then they saw my my transcripts and they 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 didn't start calling me anymore. Gotta have the grades. <laughs> yeah, I mean you gotta have a four and a crazy SAT. But um, yeah, I was in talks with a lot of them. But you know, it was again, it was about what's the right fit for me. I remember taking a trip to Arizona State, and Arizona State seemed like a really good fit at the time. But at the um, at that point, they were under restrictions, NCAA violations. They had a new manager, and he didn't have a lot of scholarships to hand out. Um, I mean, if maybe that wasn't the case, maybe I would have gone there. So it's just finding the right fit for the right person. You went to uh, to Georgetown High, which for folks not from Texas, kind of right outside of Austin in that area. And you essentially got into high school right after Taylor Youngman graduated. Yep. Um, I know he's only there for a year, but while you were in high school, he's turning into a first-round pick at Texas. It's yeah. an incredible college career. Is there anything to be like anointed the next guy at the high school, at least like the guy who, you know, you're throwing in the Goodwill series, you're getting scouted, you're the D1 guy? Is, is there any weight of expectation, at least in the ecosystem of high school? Because if there's one thing about Texas, it's that people care way too much about high school sports and put a lot of weight on that. Is there any, you know, hey, the, the last guy who was, you know, a D1 guy at this school is going to be a first round pick? Do you put any weight on yourself with that? Not really. I went to a high school. I mean, we, we had a bunch of them, man. We had a bu- we have a bunch of pro guys. Andrew McKeerahan pitched with the Braves in the big leagues. Corey Knable, who's an all-star closer, who's pitching with the Dodgers this year. Uh, Taylor Youngman, like you said. We had a bunch, man. But growing up, it was just such a culture with us growing up. When we went to that, that high school field, 
you thought you thought you were you were at a big league game. I mean, it, like you said, we care way too much about high school sports in, in Texas. I mean, so growing up and getting to that that level, game slows down for you a lot. You see a couple things in the newspaper comparing you to. I got compared to Andrew McCurahan a lot, left-hander. Uh, he threw 95. I did not throw 95. But, <laughs> you know, me and me and Youngman weren't very comparable. Youngman, funny story, Youngman and I have actually never even met, ever met. He still hangs out in Georgetown, goes to Georgetown, went to Georgetown High School. I've never even met him, but everybody else I'm pretty close to. Well, uh, the one other sport that in Texas we I think we care about it even more than baseball. We, I mean, we definitely care more about baseball. Is, uh, is obviously football. And oh, yep. in, in my opinion, pitching is about as high pressure as anything you can do in the diamond. But you also kicked for the football team, which is honestly yep. one of the last jobs I would ever want in sports <laughs> because I, I'm not someone who likes scrutiny. Yep. Is there anything about kicking that translates to baseball? How, how did you oh, wind up the kicker? It. How do you find find out you're good at kicking a football? That's a funny story. So like you said, football, man, is a religion. It's a religion in Texas, especially where we are. It's the Dallas schools, Houston schools, and right around Central Texas where we are. And I went for my physical in the seventh grade, and they found I had a heart murmur called aortic valve stenosis, and they weren't going to let me play. So Mason Crosby, the kicker for the Packers, who's a Hall of Fame kicker, went to Georgetown as well. And I got with him. Uh, My dad, we were just going to find any way that we could to get me on the field. And it made sense at the time because not a lot of contact. I'm a baseball player. I'm not going to get hurt. Um, not a lot of pressure on my body. Not a lot of pressure on my upper body. And like you said, I was just kind of, I had the personality. I was kind of built for that. Um, I was kind of built for those pressure moments. So I put an orange tee with a football on it at the goal line and just kept kicking until I got really good at it. I was actually... I mean, my dad would probably agree I was a better kicker than I was a football player or, or, a, or a baseball player. And uh, that was also ultimately what helped me decide on Kansas because I was supposed to go there and play football as well. And so what happened there? Why no? Did, did, you, did you suit up in the fall or did you go to sp- uh, summer football or anything? That was the plan. I get on campus and they fire the head coach and it was kind of downhill from there. They, brought in, they fired Turner Gill, brought in Charlie Weiss. And that was kind of the end of my football. <laughs> um, they're, they're, the kicker they had on the field was awful. I was sitting in the stands thinking I could kick it 10, 15 yards deep in the end zone. He's getting it to the 25. So they actually called me back, and I worked out with them. They said, hey, let's wait till next season. And um, I was gone before that could happen. I'm going to be honest, man. The, the kicker was not the only person on that Kansas no. football team who was awful. No, no, they were all bad. Uh, kind of, kind of evergreen statement at this point. Yeah. Dark day, dark days for KU football. Yeah, yeah. Um, as the draft came up, your senior year, though, did you think there was any chance you'd head to pro ball? Like, were you entertaining it at all? Because you, you do get popped in the thirty seventh round. Not really. I mean, again, that's that's your dream, but again, it's different for everybody. And I, I wasn't, my body wasn't ready. I hadn't, I hadn't gotten my big boy body yet. I was small, and that was also where that aortic valve stenosis thing kind of played in. They didn't, they wouldn't let me lift a lot. And I, I kept having to go get reevaluated and get different opinions and finally got a couple people that says, dude, you can lift. So um, I needed that year of college for my body to grow and um, mature mentally. 
And so I, I felt that was the best decision for me at that time. And heading up to Kansas, what was that that first year like? And especially that first fall, like when you get into, especially as a smaller guy, when you get into those those D1 workouts and the the different kind of physical adjustment to college ball. Were you able to physically catch up, or is that kind of why you didn't see the field as much your year at Kansas? Well, so I didn't see the field much uh, at, the, at, at Kansas because I blew my elbow out week two against BYU. But that could correlate with what you're asking. Probably not. I don't think my body could, could, could handle. I mean, they were intense. The, the, the workouts were hard. And, you know, my high school did a great job of preparing me for that. I couldn't spend as much time in the baseball class as I, because I had to be in the football class. If I would have spent more time with my head coach in baseball, I, I think I would have been a little bit more prepared. Um, but it was intense, man. I, my roommate, Marcus Wheeler, who him and I are still really good friends to this day, I'll never forget day one, he walked in to the weight room and had a piece of bubble gum in his mouth. And I think we did like 800 burpees, 400 push-ups. They ran us. Still, everyone hated Marcus for at least the whole year. <laughs> I mean, they don't mess around with, when it comes to weight training, but it's good for you. It's good for you. They, as long as you manage it well and they know how to take care of your bodies and you have good trainers, um, it's manageable. Then why choose to, to rehab or why, why choose to transfer to McClellan when you're, you're rehabbing your elbow as opposed to stick it out at Kansas? McLennan uh, is an hour away from my home, and Kansas is 13 hours away from home. I'm a Texas boy. I don't get along with the snow very well. was going to ask how those winters were in Kansas The winters well. were terrible. I, I didn't fit in very well with the school, with the people in the school. It was more of a cultural thing for me. I, I didn't enjoy my time at Kansas very, very much, and that has nothing to do with my head coach and my pitching coach. It just has everything to do with the people that surround you. And I wish that's more what, what kids at 18 would, would, would put more of an emphasis on is when you get those, it's, it's really hard to get a good feel for a school in three days when you take your official visit. It's really hard. But if you could put more of an emphasis on what kind of people you're going to be around, get a good feel for your professors, those, those are the most important things. And if you can get if you can get a good head coach and the baseball lines up and you you're gonna get on the field and you're gonna pitch or you're gonna play early, those things are great. But you gotta live there, so the environment that surrounds you is very important. And I didn't I didn't feel like that was the right fit for me. Well, when you head to to McLennan, what is the what's the goal in, in moving back to JUCO? Are you hoping to get healthy, get drafted? Or are you hoping to you know find a different four year stop? Because I assume you got a redshirt year too, so you go in as a freshman. What's what's your hope for your time at McLennan? Yeah, I was actually lucky. I got my redshirt by about two days. If my elbow would have held on for about two more days, I would have lost that year. But I, my main focus was going back to McLennan because I left Kansas. Man, I, I had so much rehab. On top of TJ, I had three or four MRSA staph infection surgeries in the fall. I mean, it was a bad year for me. So I left Kansas with like 17 hours, not even, not even 24 hours. And to get back to a D1, you got to have 60 credits. You got to have your associates. So I had to hit the ground running. Summer classes, uh, 15, 18 hour semesters, 
winter winter class, mini masters, anything you can think of to get to those 60 hours. And that was my main focus, was just doing what I could to get back to a D1. Uh, Texas was in the cards. Sam Houston was in the cards again then. Those were really my two uh, main schools. Get my Get my degree and get back to D1 probably at Texas or Sam. And with the experience of playing, you know, at least playing some of a season at a D1, playing a season at a junior college, what are the the pros and cons in your eyes of, of jumping to junior college? Or that what are the things that you can get in junior college ball you might not be able to get at a D1 and vice versa? I say this every day. I will forever be grateful that I went to a junior college. If I could do it all over again, and if any 17, 16, 18-year-old can, can hear this, and if you talk to the guys that have been D one, yeah, you're gonna get the, you're gonna get the glamour. You're gonna get the 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 nice charter buses. You're gonna get the food. You're gonna get those things. But when you get to a junior college, man, it's a grind. It's a big time grind. My first year there was my my head coach's first year there. We had to completely redo the baseball field. We were doing that work. We were hanging the nets. We were doing the dirt. Our, we didn't have a weight room. We would meet at the field at six in the morning and. The only weights we had were bags of deer corn, and we would we would somebody would get hyped up and slam the deer corn and deer corn would go flying everywhere, and then our workout was over for that day. <laughs> it's just a it's a grind, man. If you watch Last Chance U, I love watching Last Chance U because it 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 really shows how hard it is for those guys. I will say in my my experience, I, I played at a D two school. I don't think I ever heard a guy because I mean we had tons of JUCO transfers every year. I don't think I ever heard a guy have anything but good things to say about junior college. Obviously, there's the stuff you talk about, like the, the grind of it. But I, I think if you play junior college ball and you and you go on to play more baseball, you truly love baseball. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you just you get reconnected with yourself at junior college. Uh, you you get to dig down deep and, and find out what you're made of. And if you can do that at junior college, you can do that at division one. So like I said, you're not going to get the nice weight room. You're not going to get the uniforms. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a grind, but it makes you better. And the level of baseball is no different. I mean, you're facing guys that are 92, 93, 95 that did, didn't have the grades to get in somewhere, got into some, got into some behavioral issues and, uh, or or it's a guy that doesn't want to go get stuck at a D1 for three years and wants to go in the draft in a year. You know, maybe he needs one more, two more years of, of development. Um, level of baseball is the same, if not maybe maybe in Texas a little bit better sometimes. We scrimmaged uh, Howard usually every fall. Howard's good. Woo boy. Yeah. Just run out dude after dude after dude. Yeah, I mean, they, they they ran a guy out against us who was hitting the backstop with every pitch he threw, but it was 98. <laughs> <laughs> and I I encourage everyone listening to uh, to Google Big Spring, Texas. Yeah. Where, uh, it's a hole in the wall. <laughs> and, and, and they just churn out dudes. But um, as you as you as you start to finally get healthy, as your elbow comes back and you get into that spring and you're starting to throw innings, where does when does the draft come into focus? Kind of what? 
what what kind of options are you weighing? Like, are you close to those credits to be able to move on to go D1? Or are you just, is is the draft your only focus as you get into that, the end of that first spring in junior college and finally get healthy? It was all coming together pretty quick between Texas, Sam Houston, and the draft. Um, the hours were there. I had gotten my, all my grades where they needed to be. I was going to graduate from McLennan. Um, my first outing on the mound, I, I'll never forget, I gave up seven or eight runs just getting rocked i mean there was line drives flying past me i mean right past my head i I didn't even care i was just so happy to be back on a mound i was so happy to be back on mound and every outing that i that that i had at mcclennan just kept progressively getting better and when they called when the angels called in the what was the 38th round i i was just so tired of the elbow rehab and the school and you know, you don't know how much longer you have playing at that point. You don't know how many years that elbow is going to last. And and I wanted to chase the dream of playing a professional baseball, so I took that chance. I took that opportunity, and it were, ended up working out for me. And with your dad and your um, you know, your background, you, you probably knew a little bit more about about the minor league baseball ground. Had a little bit more to than the average guy who signs a little bit more of an idea of what to expect. Did What did you see your path to the big leagues like, and how ready did you think you were for life in the minors? Man, I don't even know that all the years with my dad traveling could have gotten me ready for it. Um, not even junior college. It's a different cat. It's a different, it's a different animal. It's uh, a lot of time in the locker room, a lot of downtime, not a lot of things to do outside of work, outside of the game. Uh, those are the things that you don't see when the lights go off. And um, so as far as being prepared for that, I don't know that anything in my career got me prepared for that. Um, yeah, just the, just the day-to-day grind is, is what being with my dad probably taught me. Is that it's every day. It's every day you got to show up and do your job. Um, I compared myself to a lot of late-round guys, a lot of late-round left-handers that just finesse that that didn't have a lot of velo that found their identity and found their niche and that's that's what I went with when you get out there you, you sign you do most of your first summer in the AZL uh, you do your second season in the short season pioneer league with how they've restructured the minor leagues now there is going to be no more short season if you're not in full season ball you're going to be in the complex league. Yeah. With you having played in both, spent some time in both, what is, and then and then after your time in short season, made the jump to full season ball, what are guys, what are guys going to be missing not having the, the short season, the jumping point to get into full season? Is it is it going to be a much bigger jump going from the complex to say if you had gone from the AZL to Burlington? No, no, they're not missing anything. I'm actually... I don't, I don't like a lot of things that are going on in baseball right now, but that's one thing that I don't mind. I never understood it. I mean, you're sending your younger guys to Arizona, even if it's, if, whether it's a first pick or a 38th pick, you're sending all your younger guys, your inexperienced guys to AZ, and uh, you're sending your late, late junior, senior signs, free agent signs, 22, 21, 23-year-olds to, to short season because they're used to the atmosphere. Maybe they came from Auburn, maybe they came from A&L, maybe they came from... Baylor, they're used to pitching in front of crowds. It, from an organizational standpoint, the way I saw it, it was just a, a quicker way to see how they would do in that atmosphere in that game, and if, and if we need to get them out, we can get them out. AZL, man, 
I will forever be grateful that the first thing I did in pro ball was go to AZL. One, you're in a big league complex, which is like stars in, in your eyes as a young kid. It was the coolest thing in the world. I felt like everybody should have gone straight in there, straight there. And one of the biggest blessings I ever had in my career was getting to sit in a conference room and listen to Mike Hampton and, and Ryan O'Malley talk every day. Just every day they would go over how professional baseball is played, how detail-oriented it is, how what what are we focusing on a day-to-day basis. Here's your OO percentage. Here's your 1-1 percentage. Here's your uh, three pitches or less percentage. Here's your, I mean off-speed in, in, in certain counts. It was so educational for me. And I felt like everybody needed that, your, your first step in pro ball. Late, late round sign, senior sign, junior, whatever. I feel like everybody needed to learn that stuff going into pro ball. What is that day-to-day like? Like, what are you, you know, working on as a bullpen guy in bullpens and flat grounds that, you know, there's a lot of, especially as a bull, I mean, like you said, there's a ton of, ton of space in the day for, you know, the, the one inning you throw, one or two innings you throw every other night. What is the key, what was the key for you at that point to keep advancing? Like, was there certain things that you were like, I need to accomplish this to become a big leaguer, or is it just this broad, I need to get better at everything all the time? Personally, the biggest thing I had to learn was taking care of my body on that day-to-day grind, which, I mean, whether you're the D1, JUCO, whatever, that's something you're not used to. So that that's one thing you're going to have to pay more attention to, your nutrition, your sleep habits, uh, your workout routines, uh, soft tissue. you got to find your niche and those kind of things, what works for you, what keeps you healthy. And secondly, on the field is consistency, whatever, because you get so much time on the field, so much time playing catch. Uh, you got to figure out how to be consistent. Sometimes, sometimes too much time is a bad thing. Sometimes throwing my change up too much is bad. Sometimes throwing my my curveball too much is not a good thing. Sometimes, and that's what you're learning in pro ball those first two years is what works, what doesn't. How do I how do I control my workload? How do I manage that? Um, cool thing when I got to the Mariners, they I'm not a big technology guy, but they actually put a sleeve on us with that had a chip with, like that sat right underneath your elbow, and it could it would uh, read your workload with data, so so these players could see, okay. My workload is about a 95 today, um, and then I pitch tomorrow, and my workload's going to be at 100 tomorrow. And then my first day off, my workload is at 95 again. And, and some guys don't even understand that they're not giving their bodies breaks. And so that made it easier uh, when we got to the Mariners to understand those things. Some guys aren't throwing enough. Some guys are like 30, 30, 30, 100, 30, 30, 100. And learning those things at a young age really helped a lot of players managing the day-to-day managing your nutrition your body how does the how conducive is the the minor league lifestyle to the physical demands of being a professional athlete it doesn't correlate very well <laughs> I, mean, I mean you, you, you bus rides and pb and j's are not the uh that's not the that's not the way you do it and so you know they're struggling with money uh, so, so that they're not going to feed themselves hardly. I mean, the best thing that we could find ourselves doing was, I mean, again, when I was with the Mariners, we got we got taken care of much better when I got to the Mariners than when I was with the Angels. The Angels' food was awful. Uh, we weren't eating very well. The bus rides and 
when I got to the Mariners, I walked in their facility and it was like Disney World. I mean, just the types of food, the amount of food. We'd have steak one day and I'm like, you guys eat like this every day? I didn't realize they allowed minor leaguers to eat steak. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Dodgers, man. The Dodgers spend millions of dollars a year on their minor leagues food. I mean, so they understand the importance of it. And look how good their organization is. Look how many guys they bring up from their minor league system. Um, yeah, but it's important. And it, and it doesn't match your lifestyle very well off the field. With the bus rides and the travel and the hotels, how... You know, how, how much more difficult is doing that on the road? Just, you know, at, at home, you've at least got wherever you live, you've got a kitchen, you, you know, hopefully have some food in there. How do you how do you try to maintain being a professional athlete on the road when you're riding in a bus from Burlington to God knows where and staying in a hotel? Well, hopefully you have a host family that loves you and takes care of you a little. <laughs> um, sometimes they'll, they'll pack you little packs up nuts or something just small stacks cheap protein you see that that's part of finding your identity and finding what works for you that's all part of it it's all part of the package if if you can find a place usually it was a good thing when you're on the road because you got meal money we didn't get a lot of meal money on, on on road series but you know just finding good meals that were cheap and you know that could fit your lifestyle so that your first year in Burlington, you're 23. Uh, you're finally in full season ball. You have a pretty solid year, 71 innings, uh, 340 RA. Um, you know, th- you're you're a little old for the league, but things are going well. At that point, you feel like you've you know you're you're fully healthy. You're adapted to minor league lifestyle. Do you you know even though you're a little old for the league, do you still think you're on track for the big leagues? I do. Um, again, that that was. I felt like I was really creeping up and finding who I was. You know, I got again. I got drafted 145 pounds. Second year, 165. Uh, third year, 200. I mean, I'm, I'm growing into my big boy body. My velo's jumping, and right when that's happening, they want to drop me down. <laughs> so they want to drop me down to a lower arm slot, low, low uh, side arm, a little bit lower than side arm. And I didn't really understand it at that point. It was kind of one of those things. It was, hey, either you either need to do this or you're gonna get you're gonna get released. And I didn't really like the fact that you know let's let's not pay attention to how hard this kid's been working. Let's not pay attention to how much weight and how much his velo's jumping. We just need to find a right now solution and we need to drop him down. So I went to Burlington. I had been throwing sidearm, low sidearm for a week. And I just got thrown into the fire, and I had a, I had a, it wasn't going very well for me early in the season. I had a meeting with my pitching coordinator and said, "Hey, man, I'm not, I'm not opposed to doing this, but you got to let me open up a little bit. Let me go sidearm. Let me drop down. Let me go up top." Um, Greg Malley, who was pitching in the big leagues with the Angels at that time, that's what he did. He was disgusting. He was the best pitcher in the organization. I said, "Let me do what Greg does." They said, "Okay." I ended up having a really good year, but it was kind of too late at that point. So when you went to spring training 2017, was there? did you have the sense that you were pitching for your job, pitching for your future in the organization? Um, not at the beginning of spring training. Towards the back end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how does that get communicated to you? Not very well. Uh, you, you kind of start to see, okay, I haven't pitched in three days. I haven't pitched in four days. They're wanting to try new things with me. Um, that's kind of a... That's another whole another story for another time, but uh, I, I kind of got into some feuds with, with one of the coaches, and it didn't go very well. He, he straight up told me I would never pitch past high A, and I didn't take that very well. 
I, I, I felt like I worked so hard to get to that point and get, and get to who I needed to be to, to start being successful in the minor leagues. And it was like a girlfriend who's breaking up with you and you don't even know it, <laughs> you know? And, and by the end of spring training, it's like, all right, well, I either got to do what they say or, or I'm going home. So at that point, had you gone, had you gone back up top or were you still trying the, the whole sidearm thing or were you trying the combo thing? When I broke from spring training, I was below sidearm. Um, and my first couple outings, I thought I, I did really well. Two Ks an inning, two Ks here, four Ks here, a couple hits, really well. And I wasn't low enough. <laughs> it was like, all right, we got to drop you down lower. And I was like, it was just never enough. And it, it was just, um, my father always explains it. Uh, he says, you know, baseball is like walking into an ice cream store. You got 30 different flavors of ice cream to choose from. That's how baseball is. Every, every organization does things differently. And they, 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 their GM left, new ownership, new management. Things started to change at the wrong time for me. And so it was kind of one of those things. I had to do what they, what they said and, you know, make lemonade out of lemons or whatever. <laughs> When the Angels release you, how'd you spend the two months between getting released and getting signed? Cool story. If I would have never gotten released, I would have never met my wife. I came home, uh, spent a little time at home. It was it was weird being home at that point in the season when every, when all my friends were shipping off to their uh, to their to their leagues. But uh, I met my wife, hung out with her for a little bit, and then I got an offer to go pitch indie ball uh, at Grand Prairie up in Dallas, and Airhawks. Yep. Went and did that. I was there for four days. Didn't even see a game. And the Mariners called me. They were they were low on pitching. So Jerry Depoto, who was a GM that drafted me with the Angels, he went to Seattle and I kind of just followed him. And at that point, it started to seem like it was all. I was with the guys that were that, that drafted me. I was with the coaches again. And it all started to feel like everything was coming together for me again. So that felt, it felt like more than just uh, they needed a warm body. It felt like a legitimate opportunity for yep. you, head, yep. head of the Mariners. Yeah, absolutely. And I got there. So that off season too, I had went to Puerto Rico. Um, Alex Claudio, little lefty with the Rangers. I saw he was playing in Mayaguez. I wanted to go down there and learn from him. I, I, needed, I needed the innings to learn how to throw uh, from that arm slot. And Mayaguez was a good fit for me. I went down there. Alex was on my team. And I ended up being really good friends with Alex Cruz, who's the bullpen coach there, who is Alex Claudio's personal pitching coach. They, they do everything together. They, he's taught him everything he knows. Uh, it ended up being a really good thing for me, and I was pumped to go into spring training the next year uh, with the Mariners. And um, two days in with being with the manager, uh, with, with the Mariners, one of the managers walks up and goes, dude, did you even want to do this? Is this you? Is it was this your call? And I said, No, man. But I've I've spent so much time working on it now that it's kind of like I can't flush it. And he goes, Throw a couple pitches from up top. I throw one fastball about eighty eight. Throw the nastiest change I've ever thrown in my life and the nastiest curveball I've ever thrown in my life. And he goes, Yeah, we're gonna stick with that. And so now I go into rookie ball. Was that relief? Was that like, oh, I'm, I'm back, I'm yes. back, or was that I just burned two years? Both. Um, I just burned two years, but at the same time, now I, I, I have my, I, I got my balls again. <laughs> you know, I, I have my, my conviction again. So 
that was a good feeling for me. But then I dealt with a lot of arm issues going going high three quarter to dropping down, a lot of body issues. Had to retrain my body how to work, and then jumping back up, my body didn't like that very much. So a lot of growing pains, a lot of stress on my body, uh, which I think down the road had a lot to do with my shoulder injury. But um, yeah, it was good for me. I went to rookie ball. I had the best outing of my. It's rookie ball, but I think I faced nine guys and struck out eight of them. I mean, it was. I was in the newspaper the next day. It was like. And I was in. I was on my way to low A the next day. It was like the best outing of my life. I just felt great. I felt really good. Do you think because of that you you maybe jumped into the physical aspect? Because it's it's the one of the one of the few things in baseball I can identify with as a pitcher having to change arm angles. Because I threw from every single spot on the map when I was in college, and each time, like I remember the first time I I dropped down and started trying that, my elbow was pounding for about three weeks. Um, and but obviously, if you're having success, you're you're going to want to ignore those signs. Do you think there's a, do you think because of the instant success, it was like, I'm just, I'm going full into this. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pay attention to any kind of physical warnings or anything like that. Is there like a safer way to, or a way you would recommend to anyone who, you know, is dropping down or messing with the arm angle? Everybody, everybody's body is different. I, I know a friend who, was giving up. I think he gave up twelve runs in one inning. Was having the worst outing of his life, and he just says, "You know what? I have nothing to lose at this point." And he just dropped down, mid game, started doing it, and that's how he pitched again for the next for the next six years. Got a that's incredible. Yeah, eighty eight percent scholarship to Arkansas. You know, it, everyone finds that niche kind of differently. You know, if you're not a long, lengthy guys that maybe don't throw hard, um, your body's got to feel right. I Man, my body did not take it very well at all. I, my growing, my growing was swollen. My back was swollen. My shoulder, my arm. It, it was just, it was rough. But I had to reteach myself. I had to do a lot of exercises, a lot of stretching, a lot of mobility to get to that point. When you're feeling all those, all those ailments, but you're a guy who's already on a second club, like essentially on a second chance in pro ball. Is there any worry to to bring it up like, hey, I don't feel so good. I'm, I'm kind of I'm hurting. Is there any any anything to maybe trying to pitch with pitch through pain? Yeah, there's always that. Uh, I don't think it has so much to do with being in a new organization. It doesn't matter how long you've been in an organization. You don't want another guy taking your job. There's always that worry to go say something to somebody. Luckily, when I got with the Mariners, I had gotten to that point with my body where I wasn't hurting. I had I'd spent that time with Claudio. I had spent that time with Alex in Puerto Rico. I would put so much time into it that my body felt good. My control felt good. The only thing that wasn't there was my velocity. Um, I, I didn't have any velo from that arm slot. But, you know, luckily I, when I got to that point, I would felt okay. So uh, 2018 season um, from – from a lot of in a lot of ways, I would imagine it's probably your toughest year in pro ball. That was the year you you pack up and play in four different spots for three different organizations, <laughs> and which is which is probably not what you want. No, I think I was starting with the Mariners, got released, started and then got picked up by the Braves. Was doing very well with the Braves. I loved I loved what I was doing with the Braves, and then Chicago. Yep. Chicago, uh, I got they they needed a triple A arm. It was an opportunity for me to go pitch in triple A, 
So the transition from the Braves to the to the White Sox was probably easiest because I had gotten traded, um, and I was going to get a pitch, uh, an opportunity to pitch in, in a higher level. So that one wasn't so hard for me. But you know, having to restart again with the Braves, having everybody learn who I am again and, and learn what I can do, and hopefully find somebody that can help me. That that's that's tough. Yeah, when you're you know, after the, Mar- the Mariners' release in May and after you signed with the Braves, is there, did you feel like, you know, just a warm body at that point, just a guy eating innings? Was there ever a sense that, hey, th- this organization wants me to advance? It's kind of tough to say. I mean, you know, going from the Angels, who didn't have a very good system at that time, and going the Mariners, who didn't have a good system at that time, and I didn't feel any any chance of, advancing in those organizations for some reason because they were just going to go spend money to get a new arm with with the braves i was doing well and they were bumping me up every time i pitched well they'd send me somewhere else and it was you know i was pitching really well and when i pitched well they rewarded me they 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 moved me i went from uh spring training extended low a high a i just kept moving the ranks and that was for for the first time felt like i was where i belonged i loved the people you know, growing up watching baseball was in Florida with my dad. I was over in Florida, which was a little bit of an adjustment for me with the heat and learning how to manage the humidity. But um, I kind of felt at home with the Braves. You know, it, it, one of those things I look back is, you know, maybe if I if I hang with the Braves for a little while, I wonder what happens. So um, also in, in, in 2018, you, you lose one of your, your dearest friends. How did that impact the the rest of your career and and what you've done since you've left baseball especially what you done when you you did when you went back to school and what you're doing now so Aaron Aaron was a good friend of mine uh one of my roommates for two three years just a brother to me he was from New Jersey I'm from Texas two two boys you wouldn't think would get along very well we both loved to hunt um I would go I would travel up there to go go duck hunt with him every every off season but um yeah, we lost him. He was dealing with some mental stuff, some some uh, uh, depression, just losing weight, acting differently. There's the pressure of the game, the pressure of being of being thousands of miles away from your family, and you know what, what what people again behind the lights, what people don't see is that struggle you're going with going through. You know, if if you and your girlfriend, or you and you and your fiance are in an argument or have a disagreement, there's no face to face confrontation, and there's no there's no, I mean, you're having to handle everything over the phone. If, if your mom's sick, you know, I grew up, my mom has stage four cancer. So I'm on the road with my mom with stage four cancer. And you're having to deal with real life problems thousands of miles away from home. You know, and that's one of the things I feel like what minor league and major league baseball could do a better job of taking, taking care of these kids is, you know, provide them with, with a different lifestyle. There's some days we'd get done at 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. in the morning. What then? We what the hell are we gonna do at nine? It's nine a.m. We have all day. We have no money, and we're a thousand miles away from home. What do we do? You know, you hear the stories about Josh Hamilton. You hear the stories about. I mean, I, I read one the other day of a of a big leaguer who got arrested for sleeping. I, I think it was either at a at a store or I think it was an airport terminal something. That's uh yeah Andrew Tolls. Yeah, hit three twenty six in the big leagues, and, it, and he's getting arrested at an airport terminal. I don't know what kind of guy he is, but you know, it, 
this is a really hard, hard thing on, on, on a player's mind, much, much less his body. You know, and, and so that really opened my eyes. I, I We knew it was hard, but when I lost Aaron, you know, it, it kind of made you take a step back and say, whoa, hang on, hang on. And, you know, you start to talk to your teammates, you start to start to look around and start to, you know, start to realize that we're all going through something right now. We're all dealing with this anxiety and this depression. and Nobody's talking about it. We're men. It's not like we meet at the locker room and talk about how hard things are, you know, and so when you got to go back home and deal with those things yourself, and so I dove into it. I I, I dove into it, and uh, I was going back to college after I after I retired, and I wrote a 15-page paper on stress and anxiety factors for professional athletes. For you know, just to dive into it, maybe get some answers, and you know what I found was there wasn't a lot of research on it at all. And but what I what the research I did find was very good. It was very good to prove prove to a point that. There's not a lot that's being done about a big problem, you know, and it's, so, I mean, I, I'm in, I'm in talks with my dad a lot. Um, it was a big eye opener for him, you know, having a son that actually went through the minor leagues and, and seeing how hard it actually is and how difficult it is actually is on a player. Um, so we talk about things like I, I mentioned to you earlier about the beyond, beyond baseball program, you know, just give it giving these kids a better lifestyle outside of the game, you know, uh, arrange PS4, PS4 tournaments, arrange golf tournaments. You know, we're going to talk golf this night. We're going to, we're going to have a pool party. We're going to grill. Not only are you building culture, but you're giving these th- kids something to do, you know, and to take those things, get them out of their apartment, get them out of playing PS4 and watching TV all day. Give them something to do. Get put their mind to something. Um, help these. You're talking about. Let me back up, Mike. There's 50,000 high schools in this in, in the country. How many how many players would you say are roughly in the minor leagues? Couple thousand. Couple thousand. So you're so you're at least taking the best player from each high school in the country. You know statistically. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the top 1% of athletes in the world. So there's something to say about that kind of work ethic, that kind of determination, that kind of intelligence. Why, why isn't there something structured to help these kids outside of baseball? Let's, get them, let's help these kids get their real estate license. Let's help these kids you know, get, their, get a license to drive a truck or, or, a, or a teaching license or something to help prepare these kids better after baseball. Let's let's do something for the game. How about instead of getting done at nine o'clock a.m. today or releasing these kids at noon if they don't pitch that day? How about a scouting school? How about a coaching school? You know, how about not only are we making the game better, not only only giving back to the game, but we're helping these kids stay out of bad situations, whether it's mentally or behavioral, or keeping them out of bars and keeping them out of the nightclubs and helping them financially a little bit. How many guys do you think you played with, especially towards the back end of your career, that kept staying in baseball as much because they were afraid of what would come when they weren't a baseball player anymore versus the dream of getting to the big leagues? Oh, tons of them. Tons of them. Especially the Latins. Especially the Latins. Especially those, the Latins are getting paid more than, than a lot of guys that are coming out of these nice D1s, and they're, they're, scared. they're scared as hell to, to go back home. Um, 
there's a, you play with a lot of guys that that did it, um, that 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 did that did go home. I I play with one guy that we always choked around because he worked at a pizza pocket factory. He was making the pizza pockets. He goes, "Is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? I'm six six, left handed. Yeah, I'm eighty seven, eighty eight. I got to go find a job somewhere. And the only thing he, he can find is a low A job with with an organization. But it's it's a hell of a lot better than being home. What gave you? I, I I guess the the confidence in what's after baseball to be able to say I'm hanging it up. My wife and I were having a baby, and and my shoulder was done. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with my shoulder. I, I went and got an opinion at home, and I had a torn labrum. So I mean, at that point, it's like, you know, at least I'm going out on my own terms. Um, I don't know what's next, but I'm going to go home and be a father to my kid. That was important to me with a dad gone so much was being home. So I was excited about that step. And looking back on it, I don't really regret the decision. Um, again, that that's another thing that's kind of different for everybody. I think, um, you know, I, with going back to school, you told me you graduated from, from Alabama in which you wrote your senior paper on. W- with mental health in baseball, how, how much before you lost Aaron, how – how often in, in you were in pro ball, you know, a few years before that, um, just baseball culture in general, how often did you, did you ever hear a player feel comfortable enough to talk about their mental health and how they were feeling mentally? Cause it's easy as a baseball player to say, you know, Oh, my, my knee has been killing me for yeah. two months. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, outside of baseball, guys don't talk like that. <laughs> it's very rare that you have a friend that a guy friend that, 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 you go that deep into conversations with um, dads. A lot of dads. I mean, if you just look, man, a lot of a lot of guys struggle with this kind of stuff. Women, women are a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more emotional, not afraid to talk about their feelings. Guys don't talk about their feelings. So you're in a, you're in a clubhouse with 300 guys. Maybe half of them speak English. So there's that barrier right there. I if if I saw somebody going through something, if I saw somebody struggling. Man, I may not even be able to talk to that guy because he's from Venezuela and I don't speak Spanish, you know. And on top of that, or or guys that, you know, um, you don't know very well, or they're new to the organization, or I mean, it, there's it's just tough, man. It's tough, and 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 baseball, minor league baseball, tell you that they help, they do things. It's not much because one, if I'm not going to talk to a really close friend of mine, why am I going to talk to a professional? Well, how how would how do you want baseball professional, you know, major league baseball, minor league baseball, and how do how would you like to see things change? How would what would what would be your hope, you know, for the for the next ten years in minor league baseball clubhouses? Um, how do you how do you normalize that conversation? Make it a topic first. Somebody's got to bring it up. You know, I, I talked to. A- I'm not going to name drop right now, but I talked to a director of behavioral science uh, for a major league organization, and he's like, "Man, how many, if I'm a pitching coach, how many guys am I in charge of? Twelve, thirteen? He said, "Well, I have two hundred and thirty. So two hundred and thirty guys in an organization. There's one guy. There's one guy that's in charge of anybody that needs to talk about anxiety issues, anybody struggling with anything back home." any of that sort of stuff. 
Well, if you look at the s statistics, one in three people are dealing with some sort of anxiety disorder. So what does that bring you up to? 120 guys or 100 guys, 80 guys, 90 guys. So not only does we only have one guy for the whole organization, he's he, that's not enough. That's not enough. So hiring more people, like I said, giving these players a better lifestyle. You, you, you hear the cries for money. You see all the lawsuits and the, and the courts and all those things about, you know, getting minor leaguers more money. They, they don't need more money. What they're crying for is, is a better lifestyle, just a better lifestyle. Just help us out a little bit. There's no, it's killing the game that a guy goes to the University of Texas with big league facilities, big league weight room, big league nutrition, everything big league, and then goes to Beloit, Wisconsin. That's that's really killing the game. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate your insight on that. It's an important topic. Yeah, it's uh, there's no one answer. There's no easy answer. Um, so I, I appreciate appreciate you being willing to open up on that. Um, as far as your career, you know, you're tired. You've graduated. Uh, if you could go back and talk to yourself going out coming out of McLennan, what what do you wish you would have known in retrospect before signing? What if you could sit your you know your 20 year old self down? Um, what, what would be that message? Mm. Um, school, get your school done. The, 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 the degree is going to go a long way. Pat, say you, say you play 10 years, 15 years in the big leagues and make $350 million. You, you, you look at those guys on TV. They, they want to go do something else. They want to go do a different job. Even if you do hit those dreams and hit those goals, you're still going to want to do stuff after baseball. So get your school done. Get get your school done. Um, and make sure you're mature enough mentally and physically um, to take that next step. Because it, it's it's tough. It's hard. We've, we've watched guys really struggle. First round, $2 million. Fifth round, 300000 38th round, doesn't matter. Free agent, doesn't matter. We've watched guys really struggle. So um, just make sure... They're ready to make that jump. Tyler, I have a quick rapid fire for you, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, first thing, this is this is not something I pre-wrote, but I thought about it. Did you send a save the date to the uh, whoever from the Angels released you? I thought about it. I didn't, but I did pitch in AAA, and I wanted to I wanted to sign a picture and send it to him. So that would that would have been that would have been the kind of petty move that I can I can get behind. That was my goal was to pitch in the big leagues and sign it sign a picture and send it to him, but didn't unfortunately didn't happen, but at least it was higher than, than high A. Yes, it was. Uh favorite minor league ballpark. Whew, man, these are rapid fire. <laughs> the Padres won in, in in Wisconsin, I think it's in. Oh, uh Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne. I've heard great things about man, Fort Wayne. Man, that place is sweet. Yeah, they they've got quite the setup. Or the Cubs and uh, the Cubs and South Bend. That one's sweet too. Best hitter you ever faced? Uh, David Wright. Oh, good good pick. Jason Worth too. Jason Worth. I used to face Jason Worth every day in spring. He was my, I was his favorite person to hit off of, and he was my favorite to face. We faced each other probably 30, 35 times a day. The uh, one of my favorite YouTube videos is when Jason Worth randomly showed up to a men's league baseball game after he retired and hits and hits a mammo. Yeah, that was about 
two weeks after him and I were facing each other. <laughs> well, he was still hitting dingers two weeks after that. It's funny because I'm, I'm again, I'm left-handed, left side of the mound, 86, 88, good changeup, good slider. He probably got one or two hits off of me, and then you, you, you throw a guy out there throwing 98, he'd hit it about 500 feet. He could do that. Did they? Worst bus ride story in the minor leagues. Everyone's got a bad one. <laughs> You're asking me to pick one out of a thousand. J- just just one, maybe two. If you have you have two good ones, I'll give you two. Rookie ball, Orem. We're in the playoff. We're in the championship. We play a team in Montana. It at home in Utah. Win. Had to drive 14 hours up to Montana to play the same team. Lose, had to drive 14 hours back home, and this is all in a four-day span, to play the same team and lose. They couldn't just host the series in one spot. We had to drive over 30-something hours to play the same team. Uh, second one was probably in Burlington on the bus. We broke down. We were on the side of the road for hours waiting for another bus. We were hitting golf balls into a cornfield. That was, that was our only source of entertainment. If there's one consistency in this podcast, it's that almost every episode there is the phrase, we were on the bus, it broke down, we were <laughs> on the side of the road. If you if you were in the minor leagues and you didn't you don't have a bu- uh, broken bus down story, you weren't in the minor leagues. I will also throw that same thing out to Division Two baseball. Yeah. D2 baseball, your bus breaks down. Uh, last one I've got for you. This episode drops two weeks from when you and I are recording. It'll drop on Tuesday, April 6th. Will the Crimson Tide have won a championship in basketball last night, Monday, April 5th? No. No? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to keep losing and they, they just keep winning, but I don't think they're going to get that far. But football season's not that far away. Yeah, you, you, had a, you had a quality football team to watch, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, thank you so much for joining for Phenom to the Farm. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Again, a huge thanks to Tyler Watson for coming on the show, talking about his career. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate, and leave a review. Let us know how we're doing with the show. As always, subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Subscribe to Future Projection with Carlos Colazzo and Ben Badler, as well as the main BA podcast feed. Episodes of From Fiend to the Farm drop every other Tuesday, so we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.